This is Unlearned, a self-rising production. I'm Jamie. And I'm CA. And we are your hosts. This is a podcast all about deconstructing who we are and exploring who we are becoming. All right. So let's start off with, you know, a lot of momentum today. What are we doing? What are we talking about? Yeah. So we were talking about how we wanted to be able to provide the listeners with like maybe like a series of shorter episodes that like super like hone in and target on like applicable skills, whether that's like emotional navigation skills or self-advocacy skills. Um, A lot of our topics are awesome. We love talking about the broad, big concepts and getting into the nuance. Um, And we also, so we're not going to stop doing that, but we also want to be providing maybe some of these kind of like snippets, just like something real, real good and applicable for you to listen to and start like doing in real life. Right. So when we start doing this, we'll probably introduce it. We'll try to explain to you, hey, this is one of the emotional navigation. We'll name the category of the skill that we're talking about. And today we are talking about emotional navigation. And one of the topics that CA and I have been breaking down is this idea of two things coexisting at the same time. And you heard us cover this in duality and non-duality. It's spoken about in that episode, but we're really talking about the individual skill, breaking this down, having it very real. What does it actually look like to do this work? Not just on a conceptualization Mm -hmm. framework, not just a what's the concept and the perception we need to take on, but the applicable every single day, how do I do this kind of thing? So that's what we're aiming for with this episode. And it is really important work. All of the stuff we're going to cover is really important. It's just that some of this stuff is more of the foundational elements. And I would say this is one of the pinnacles of foundational work with your self-growth because Mm -hmm. it creates allowance energy. It creates movement internally. It creates self-kindness and compassion. Mm -hmm. You become more human and less robotic with your emotion. You don't have to throw it into categories. You're allowed to just experience two things at the same time. So what skill we're really talking about is that concept of holding things, emotions, conceptualizations of people, holding things coexisting at the same time. So you can call this, my therapist has dubbed it intentional duality, but we also think this is considering non-duality. It's kind of like we're picking apart the, the term, but we're really talking about what is a coexistent mentality when it comes to your processing of your everyday experiences and your emotions. All right, so mm-hmm. let's just... Now that that's kind of out of the way, let's talk what this kind of might look like. Yeah. So if you want to start with an example, CA, that would be great. Um, so there's small everyday examples. There's big examples. Uh, you know, yesterday we were talking about one of the bigger topics um, that I think a lot of people deal with, which is the experience of grief and like moving through life while grieving. I think this one is probably fairly accessible to a lot of our listeners because 
we've all lost someone or something that was like so important, whether that was like a community or a home or an actual person that we loved. And life doesn't stop just because you have experienced a personal loss. And so we almost are forced to either sink or swim when it comes to this skill. And I, I I think there's probably a wide variety of experiences of how people manage this. But so the thing with grief, though, is, you know, there's a lot of resources out there, I think, that deal with like immediate grief, like when you just experienced the loss. What I wanted to talk about and what we were kind of getting into a little bit yesterday is this the those remnants of grief that never, ever go away, that just kind of become integrated into who you are throughout the rest of your life. Um, and so sometimes the way that this shows up in real life is when you are experiencing what we might consider to be like the opposite spectrum emotionally of grief, you know, you're experiencing something a really positive, like a high in your life. You're attending your kid's graduation or you are celebrating your anniversary or, you know, you just finished grad school or you, you're watching your kids, uh, you know, blow their candles out of their birthday cake. Like these moments of like really like elated joy. And all of a sudden you'll feel in that moment, you'll feel these like I, the way my brain always visualizes it is like drops of, I'm picturing like, you know, like a, a bowl of, of liquid. And all of a sudden, like these drops of grief start dropping in, you know, like ink. And then all of a sudden the ink starts to sort of like dissipate through the water and both exist. You're still experiencing this huge bowl of joyful emotion. And yet some how in these moments we get these like pangs of pain and longing for that person, you know, that we, we wish they could be here celebrating with us, or we remembered that memory of them blowing out their birthday candles or whatever it is. And so you have this push and pull inside of yourself. And what we really want to talk about emotional navigation right now, the skill we want to talk about is to allow yourself to lean into both emotions rather than telling yourself that there's only space inside of you for one or the other, mm. you know, to push the negative away and be like, don't think about it. Like I'm, I'm here to celebrate my kid. Like I just, we're just going to pretend that that emotional experience didn't happen. And I didn't miss my, my dad, you know, like I, I didn't have that feeling like I'm just gonna, you know, stay focused. Or the opposite of like completely disengaging with the joyful moment in front of you and just being overwhelmed with the grief and just leaning only into the grief. But to sit there and go, there is space inside of me to feel and hold both of these emotions simultaneously. And there are there is healing in that process. It is healing inside of me to be able to do that. Right. I think that's like the point of why we're even teaching this skill is that we are unlearning that to hold one emotion doesn't mean that you have to neglect or shame or suppress or, you know, 
even like what we were talking about last week, like the whole, um, or two weeks ago, I guess for you guys, um, the whole toxic positivity thing where it's like, you are saying, no, 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 like I'm at the funeral. I'm not allowed to laugh. I'm not allowed to experience this. I'm not, or, or I mean, obviously the longer term grief, like I'm here. So I'm taking away from my child's moment if I grieve something else, right? If it's happiness, right? And it's like, no, because wait, hold on. We're not bypassing the current experience that's going on. We're allowing that to be honored and absorbed in the moment that it arrives because that arrived to you for a reason. It arrived to your brain for a very particular reason. And this is why so many people think, I just need to kind of like get my brain in gear. I just need to kind of beat it into submission. I just kind of need to get it on board, right? So when I'm at a graduation and I think about something sad, I need to be like, shoot, get away, get away, get away, right? But it's almost like by not rejecting it, but saying, hold on, come here for a second. Come here, kid. You know, like, come here for a sec. Sit by me for a second. Tell me what's going on. I need to understand. You don't have to dwell in the grief or something that comes up in happy moment, but to outrightly reject it is going to set yourself up for continuous looping of that experience. And then you'll be like, what's wrong with me? I can't ever enjoy a happy moment without having this like grief narrative come in or I can't ever experience this. Why is my body so messed up? And why does my mind want to torture me? And that's the perspective that we're talking about. We're navigating the emotion in a new perception. We're Mm -hmm. saying, wait a second. What if your brain isn't torturing you? What if your brain isn't torturing you by reminding you of something profoundly sad when you're experiencing happiness? Because yes, in many trauma brains, that's because there was a link with if you were too happy, someone would come and sabotage it or someone would come and destroy it or something bad would happen. So your brain says, well, something really good's happened. So let's remind you of something bad, right? But even that. Even in that, when you're knowing that something is really, really good occurring and then something comes into your brain that's either really sad or really scary or something like that, what you're doing is you are not condemning it away from you. You are saying, hold on, I'm noticing you. I'm curious. Why would this be important to point out to me in the middle of this joyous event? Mm -hmm. And you're saying, I don't need to stay in this emotion. Like, like it doesn't have to stay existing for like super long. But I do need to honor that it's attempting to coexist alongside of immense joy for a reason. And I can't necessarily sit here and answer what exact reason that might be because it's probably a bunch of different things for different people. But for the most part, I can say in a general way that experience is something that the brain is desperately trying to inform you about. That Mm -hmm. is the only reason it would disrupt, quote unquote, and I wouldn't even use the word disrupt, right? Like, this is why I believe in language. But show up. Show up. Exactly. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like, exactly. It decides Mm -hmm. to show up, not disrupt. Mm -hmm. And see, you can hear it in my language because even my tendency, my brain Mm -hmm. immediately wanted to use that word 
And this is what it looks like healing in action. You have to say, wait a second, the language I even used wasn't even reflective. (laughs) I did the same thing yesterday when we were hashing this topic out. I referred to this grief and sadness feeling as a negative emotion. And that's something I'm trying to unlearn. I, I no longer want to view that as negative. I, I, I feel like emotions need to start to be in my mind. It's healing for me to consider them morally neutral, right? Like these are not positive or negative experiences. They just are what they are. And so an example of why grief might show up for you during a joyful moment in my experience and from a lot of people I've talked to is it's like a calling in to oneself to be all the more present and grateful for this joy that you're experiencing and to not let it fleet by because we have experienced loss. And so we recognize in these moments how powerful these memories become one day once you know, things have changed and people have passed on. These are those moments mm-hmm. that we're going to like hold on to and look back on. So that's why a lot of times grief accompanies joy is because the two are so linked. The reason we experience grief in the first place is because we have lost the place where we experienced joy with that person, right? Like we had so much that we loved and were grateful for and and joyfully experienced with this person. And now that that person is no longer there to share in it, we experience this like falling out of like, where does all this love go? Where does all this gratitude go now that that person that I used to give it to is no longer there? And that's why in our life, the relationships we're still having, the experiences we're still having, that little drop of grief often shows up to be like, hey, this is the place to pour that joy and that gratitude and that presence into. Mm. And these are those memories that are going to really mean something to everyone that's here. We're all going to remember this one day, whatever, you know. And so that's an example of why something like that might show up. And like Jamie was saying, that's not the only reason. You know, like there might be other, you know, lessons and, and healings and things that are trying to come through to you when those emotions show up. So, um that that's one example, and I think it's it's a pretty broadly accessible example. Uh, I think a lot of people have probably experienced that, and it does work in the reverse. We don't need to completely yeah, um, yeah, dive yeah. into that, but it often works in the reverse. You know, when you when positive feelings show up in moments of deep sadness and grief, mm. it's a similar dance. It's a similar process. But let's jump into maybe like another example of seemingly dichotomous realities that we might be experiencing do you have one well i mean it's it's interesting because i think we do this we absolutely do this emotionally okay and and but i also think we do this internally but we do this to other people this is why i think it is important for us to kind of create an example of like how we easily do this to other people but remember because we live and work in a society we are there are implications to the way our environment tries to kind of curtail or influence or inform the way we get to show up, right? So for example, you might be okay. You might get to the point, and this is what we're aiming for for a lot of our listeners. You might get to the point where you are like totally fine with being somewhere that's like very maybe like in a grief state and you're also okay with like 
joy being there and you're saying this is valid and I am allowed to feel this and or the opposite, you know, like we were just talking about. And you might get to a place of like total peace. It's interesting though, because what happens externally is the environment sees that that is like an overt, wait a second. Like I just used the example, like we might get uncomfortable when we laugh at a funeral, but if we get beyond that CA and we're like, no, I'm allowed to, this is, this is okay. Like I'm allowed to hold this at the same time. And then someone mm-hmm. comes up to you and said, I cannot believe I even, I even heard laughter when we were in, in the wake services. Mm. And this is where I'm, I'm just using this example of how this whole shame and guilt and, and collective narrative of two things cannot coexist and you must be defined by whatever emotion you're supposed to have. This is why it's very difficult. And we see this perpetuated in media. We see it perpetuated in our internal family systems. Many cultural systems will already have ritualistic practices that basically say when you show up here, you don't get to have a specific like experience other than this, right? Like mm-hmm. there is literal societal norms that say, you must comply to this emotional experience in this way, right? Whether or not you actually show up in that way, it's either suppress it or remove yourself because you're not going to fit in, right? And I don't mean like go into a church, laugh. You guys know what I mean. Like be moderation, respect. I get it. But when you're like in the like food, you know, the food part of after a week or something and like you're, you know, talking to your cousins and you're just reminiscing, you're like, do you remember that time? You know, like... Cousin Susie like did that like it was the most best part and you're laughing about that and someone comes up to you and says like that's incredibly inappropriate. Okay what I'm using this as an example is that now we're in I mean not only is this an emotional skill set but we're now in the the actual um remember how we were talking about stages of healing like conviction and then application we're in a sheer application of what this skill looks like, which means we have embodied the skill. We are saying, I'm allowed to be happy. I'm allowed to also be sad. Those emotions can coexist and I'm okay with them coexisting. You are autonomous over that emotion. You are sovereign over that emotion. And then someone comes in externally and tries to pull that into this new definition of you, right? They're defining what you're currently doing emotionally or internally. They are saying outwardly what's going on internally, okay? That is how we know this is the application stage of all the other skills that, I mean, we'll be going over more, but all the other skills, like the self-advocacy skills, the embodiment skills, the ones that you are needing to have in this moment to be attuned to what's occurring, right? Mm -hmm. And now what we're asking is, okay, so if you are getting to the point of coexisting with an emotion, are we at a point where we can outwardly be that way and allow ourselves with conviction to would I say justify? I don't know if it's justification because you don't have to justify that something is, you know, if it's right, it's right. But to them, they're going to be like, that's inappropriate. And you are going to say, this is why this is valid. 
And it's not your responsibility to change their mind. You're just validating that for yourself. You could even say something like, I can understand why someone might see that. This is not my experience of grief. I'm I'm sharing moments and memories of this beautiful human being. And this is absolutely important, as important as my grieving process. This is part of my grieving process, actually, mm-hmm. is this moment coexisting mm-hmm. with the joy of this yeah. human. Right. And so right. what did I do there? I took the emo- I took that emotional navigation skills and I'm solidifying it because we all know it is so easy to sit in this chair and just be like, yeah, that's the skill and you need to do it. Right. And this is the important skill. And right. We can embody these skills. See, and I can talk to this. I really am working on allowing two emotions to exist. And I know that if someone came up to my face blatantly and said that I was unjustified to allow those emotions to exist, I would immediately get like clamped up and be like, but that's because I haven't had enough opportunity to outwardly practice this Mm -hmm. to feel strong in this emotional navigation skill. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And another one that just came up for me as you were talking about this, uh, a, a huge place where I see people receive pushback right. is people who are trying to hold space in their life for the coexistence of like the difficulties of managing their daily life and also straight up like resting and taking care of themselves sometimes right that like we live in like such a like grind culture right now and you know work 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 is like the thing that we're supposed to be doing that we genuinely feel like we have to justify or earn rest and relaxation and and just slowing down we're not allowed to do it if you know we if there's dishes in the sink or there's a bill that's gone unpaid uh, or what, you know, like it's just whatever it is, there's always going to be like this list and all these voices. And sometimes like genuinely like real people, like your, your parents or other people in your life that are like, how are you sitting down right now? Like there are things to be done. You cannot be sitting down right now. Um, and we were talking about this one yesterday, Jamie, because we were talking about like thresholds. And so, I, there are folks out there, myself included, I'll just go ahead and throw myself under the bus, who get accustomed to like grinding at a certain caliber that we become so accustomed to that being like our threshold that like we can endure this much. So therefore we should. And this was a huge one we were trying to break down yesterday is that like, you don't always have to go to your fullest capacity of strength and endurance simply because you are physically capable of it. Mm. And we we can use the working out analogy because the, it makes so much sense when you think about this with, with weightlifting. Just because you have once benched 350 pounds, you know, at the at the peak of your workout and all the adrenaline was flowing and you got yourself to that like pinnacle point and you managed a personal 
best and you know your 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 PR or whatever and you hit that 350 and now you're like great well now I can bench 350 so from now on for the rest of my life that I have every single time I go to the bench I have to bench 350 mm-hmm. because I can and that's not necessarily the case you need to also have rest days and you need to keep up with, you know, just kind of like more maintenance level workouts. The same thing with like our emotional and our mental capacity, simply because you have endured a very high level of something, whether that was a traumatic event or enduring like prolonged stress. I think even like on a super collective societal level, we can even talk about this with regarding the COVID situation that everybody endured. Like we were all literally pushed to the brink of our absolute capacity of what we could handle. And so now it's like everyone's thresholds are like, well, we can endure it. So how do we reset Mm. and and de-escalate our nervous systems and allow ourselves to, and this doesn't mean stop your life. Again, this is the the non-duality. This is the holding space for both. This is saying, yeah, my life still is in a stressful state. You know, I've got these kids I'm taking care of. I got this job I'm managing this, that, and the other thing, taking care of my ailing parents, whatever it is. And in order to be able to do that well, I also am going to hold space for rest days and for slowing down and for yoga and for meditating and for whatever it is for you that like recalibrates your body and your nervous system and your emotions for you so that you can continue being as healthy as as you can. So yeah, this is another one. That, like, how does this play out for you and the ways that you've seen it? Hey, everyone, this is Jamie. I am so excited to share this with you. We are going on a trip that I have dreamed about for years. It's called the Immersion Experience. It's a trip I designed for you to journey into the deepest parts of yourself. It's a journey toward authenticity where we're going to create safe places for community, safe places for sharing. I'm going to be offering a workshop. You're going to be going on excursions. We're going to be experiencing Costa Rica together and hopefully taking back with us unforgettable memories. If you are interested in going on the trip, all you have to do is click the show notes link and the tickets are live today. Hope to see you there. Right. I mean, I think that it's talking about we have the emotional navigation skills of like having something coexist, but it's it's that when we're told that we basically have to experience life at like the highest level threshold or let's say pain or endurance level that has been thrown at us and we don't see it as valid as like coexisting along with what would actually create almost like space or allowance for that de-escalation. It's like we are doing that pendulum swing. We're kind of saying, well, I have to stay, right? A body in motion stays in motion. We hear all the narratives, right? Like we can't stop. We have to keep going. We have to keep, right? And I'm like, well, wait a second, because Anyone who is a you know an athlete or anyone who's been in a very demanding physical experience knows that part of them performing at highest capacity means that they must get 
the most quality sleep. They must get the most quality nutrition. They must get, you know, the most nourishing aspects of the non-demand activity, right? So like whatever that is, they need to get really good, you know, massages or really good, like whatever it is. And that looks like luxury, right? Like, oh, it must be so luxurious to like, you know, just have to be an athlete Mm. and then get like pampered on the other end. And I go, wait a second, what if that's part of their success? Because the people that get deprived and don't get nourished and don't get enough sleep and don't tend to their actual physical wounds like the wounds that come from that demand Mm -hmm. those are the ones that aren't gonna make it because they're going to have that injury is gonna get worse or they're gonna get sick yep right they're going to physically get sick so think about what this looks like emotionally if we don't allow for two things to coexist okay which means we are not allowing ourselves to yes we're talking about emotionally but we but think about what we're doing inside when we aren't allowing things to coexist okay when we aren't allowing ourselves to be giving grace or compassion like I was saying in the beginning or kindness it's interesting because you know I'll you know CA you navigate this however you want to but I remember when me and CA were like starting to do more of those internal work so you take this if you want to but um, I remember like feeling like I was seeing CA reach a threshold. Do you remember this? Like I would, I, I felt yeah. like even though, cause mm-hmm. I know her so well and it's hard for me to say, oh, I know exactly <laughs> what she's going through. But I remember like years ago at this point, this is mm-hmm. a while ago. And I would every once in a while be like, I know that you can endure this level of intensity and demand CA, But is it, like, helpful? Like, is it healing to you? Like, is it actually useful for you? And do you remember what you said? Well, I, 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 this is a perfect example. It's kind of why I probably brought this up is because, like, this is literally my lived reality is that I pushed myself a lot because I could. I am a person that, like, my, you know, personal history, I endured such high levels of stress and trauma in my, all of my entire formative years that for me, like, truly what I I can endure things that for most people, like, would absolutely just take them out. Like, they, they would not be able to hold it. And I can. And it doesn't necessarily even come close to what I have experienced. And so the thing is, this is what's really hard about it is this reminds me a lot. I'm going to try not to go off on a super intense tangent here, but this is where my neurodivergent brain is doing. (laughs) It's like making connections everywhere. This reminds me a lot of hypermobility. If you know anything about hypermobility um, and and like connective tissue disorders and things like that, that people experience, there's people in my family who have hypermobility. What happens when you have hypermobility, which means that your connective tissue is able to be a lot more stretchy and bendy than a typical person. What happens with that is because your, you know, shoulders and, and ankles and things like that and knees are capable of like, completely hyperextending in huge ranges of motion that the normal body isn't able to, 
What you're doing is you're injuring your body, but you don't feel it. You literally do not feel the injury at all. So there isn't actually, you are not experiencing a loss of functionality or you're not experiencing pain. Like your body's just doing what your body does. But over time, eventually those types of injuries do catch up to you. So it's like, you don't feel it in the moment because your, your shoulder is able to stretch all the way around your body, like a contortionist, right? So, but you did just tear some ligaments and your muscles are overstretching (laughs) and then things are getting out of whack there. I'm not an expert on it, but you know, micro injuries are occurring whether or not you are actively aware of them or experiencing them. And this I think is what happened with me for many, many years in like my early motherhood experience and things like that is I was just taking myself to these thresholds because to me it was like wasn't even hitting my register because my radar is so out of whack from my trauma history that like whatever like this is not this is still better than what I already have experienced before so who cares right and then like I said eventually these things all catch up with you though I then found myself many years later in the depths of such extreme burnout that I'm literally still climbing out of it. Um, So, and I think this is another topic I see a lot in neurodivergent circles, which is one of my specialties. And so it's when we aren't taking care of what seems like small things on like a daily basis, we think, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, it's fine. Like I can handle it. I can handle it. I can handle it. Over time, these little micro injuries are going to compound and you're going to find yourself in burnout. So what you were talking about yesterday, Jamie, um, is you were talking about, I I liked the way you worded it. You said something about allowing comfort. Yeah. It was finding. So like allowing yourself, yeah. Allowing yourself small moments of comfort or or little ways to like soothe yourself during the stress. And I think this is really easy for me to conceptualize now because I have given myself the permission to do these things for myself. My life has not stopped. And in many ways, it's probably even more stressful now than it was all those years back when I was pushing myself to these super hard thresholds. But I am now allowing myself even just little accommodations throughout the day to help mitigate some of that stress. You know, I allow myself to put on my noise canceling headphones to help my nervous system not get overly activated. I listen to my favorite music to and from the grocery store because that genuinely regulates my nervous system and my emotions. And it's like a way for me to find those little pockets of joy. Does that mean my life has stopped? Does that mean the stress is completely gone? No, but it's like these little ways that we are able to calibrate the coexisting realities of Mm -hmm. our life that I am allowed to laugh and be joyful and carefree. I am allowed to put my headphones on. I'm allowed comforts in order to endure the stress, not simply because like, oh, like you were saying like, oh, this like indulgent self-care. It's like, it's like, no, actually we are better at handling the stress Mm -hmm. when we do that. That athlete, that elite athlete is able to perform at that peak performance because he or she is also getting those massages and that extremely deep restful sleep and et cetera, et cetera. So it's yeah, 
interesting because the uh the quote that I heard, yeah, it's the discomfort and the comfort, but the quote that I heard was finding the balance between effort and relaxation. And what's funny between that, this was actually like a physical thing I was enduring. It was like through meditative yoga mm. stuff. Um, but the prompt was finding the uh, finding the balance between effort and relaxation. But what's interesting about what we just covered is that if I told you that relaxation was a luxury or an indulgence or you not being strong enough or you being a slacker Mm. or you being not resilient enough to just keep going at that effort, right? If my conceptualization of relaxing in a hard, like coexisting in a harder situation, like breathing, giving myself a moment, peace, like taking a second. If that looks like, if it's, or if it's dubbed, like if it's literally categorized as, well, that's not, that's not the correct way or that's not actually doing it the way that like, the really hard asses could do it, right? And I go, it's like Mm. now we're in a really interesting conceptualization because when you look at balancing effort with relaxation, what you're doing is you are in your entire energetic system, and I mean like combined body and mind, you are fully integrating into that experience and you're noticing what's occurring in that demand okay so for example i'm gonna give the physical example because i think this is the easiest way for you to vision this okay if i am working with a trainer okay and i am getting i'm working on like a pr and i'm trying to you know get that weight lifted or whatever okay and My trainer is, I'm going to give you an example of two different trainers. My trainer is a hard ass, no excuses, you know, everything just hard, full out, everything just like bypass everything, okay? And, you know, I'm making progress. This is what's so funny is people are like, oh, well, you're acting like that doesn't work. And I'm like, it can work. Like, ask CA. She was able to do a million things in the past 10 years and looked like the most successful human that like blew my mind. I was like, oh my God. And still nobody got to experience how much either microscopic pains or traumas were going on or no one at the end of the day was sitting in her brain understanding how much pain she was in, right? We just got to see on the outside whatever it showed up and whatever resilience looked like, right? So if I have this one coach or one trainer that's sitting there and saying, all right, PR today, listen, you know, you got to listen, ready? Listen to me. Here's that trauma. This is what trauma says. Listen to me. I have set the demand. I have set the threshold. I have set the intensity, okay? You are to meet this, this level of demand, okay? This is where I'm setting the threshold, And while I'm going for the PR, I'm noticing 
searing pain is coming up or I'm feeling woozy or something really, really, really like viscerally is going on or I'm panicking or I can't breathe, right? And the external is saying, you've done this before. You got to keep going. Get, get to that moment. I set the threshold. Go, 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 right? And I pass out. I, I, it slams on my leg and I'm out for the next six months. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here's the counter, right? And this is what we're aiming for, for everyone with the coexistent, okay? You are allowed to do hard things. We can do hard things. We are allowed to enter into spaces mm-hmm. as long as you are consenting to that trauma processing. You are allowed to process hard things, okay? And to, ex- to embody that coexistent mentality, you have to understand that with that effort, you must remain at all times, regardless of how much you've previously been able to accomplish. You need to at all times in the present moment at this time, be attuned to your own capacity and your own current experience with that emotional navigation, okay? So we have that instead of the mm-hmm. external demand, let's say the trauma is saying that instead of that, now the now we're in the healing mind space and we're saying, I am going to create effort with my consent. I will, I will navigate this hard emotion, right? Like processing a death, processing someone hurting you, processing a past trauma, right? I will attempt to do this today. This is hard. I can do hard things. I just need to remain at all times, similar to like what we were talking about, about consent. At all times, I need to be aware that if I'm bringing into this space a very hard emotional experience for myself, I must, with that, allow for coexistence or coexisting balance to that effort, which is why that prompt was finding the balance between effort and relaxation, which means I have to be equally aiming for those cues that I might be approaching something that is like I could push myself a little too hard here and I might actually injure myself a little bit if I push too hard. So I need to be, what we're really talking about at the depth of this skill is attunement and discretionary skills within your own emotional navigation, which means you are becoming very aware of where mm-hmm. that where that pivot point is, okay? Where you are pushing up that weight. Mm-hmm. You're doing good. You're feeling confident. You're feeling strong. There's nothing out of misalignment. You don't feel woozy. You feel strong, okay? And then something in the hip goes a little bit awry and you think, wait a second, I can't compensate with this. I think I need to take a reset and breathe, okay? But if we had our trauma brain, which is that external bully coach, they say, disregard, push through. You've done this before. Go on, keep going. Disregard, disregard, right? But a healing process says, Mm -hmm. that is so valid. That is that aspect of the balance we need when we're healing. And I I, I know I'm using the word relaxation, but it's Mm -hmm. actually allowance to get to the point of balance, which means you might not be like, oh, the hip is me. It's not you relaxing. It's just you saying, wait a second, do I need Mm -hmm. to create a pause here because my body is speaking to me and so is my mind and I need to honor that, Mm -hmm. okay? And this is why it's so important is because you basically – 
it, trauma brains don't get taught this. We basically are only get taught the bully coach. Mm-hmm. And so that's what our norm is. And that's kind of what CA was speaking to is if that's your only narrative, why wouldn't you push through that pain? Mm-hmm. Right. And again, the trauma brain is always saying you don't have a choice. And I think that's why this skill is so essentially important is because oftentimes that sentence, you don't have a choice, actually is true. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes that's just the trauma brain, like just, you know, like pushing that narrative. But oftentimes it's true. Like, for example, when you, when I was a new mother, I didn't have an option. I had to wake up in the middle of the night and feed the baby. I I had to do the lot. Like there were things that I literally had to do, even if it was a day when I felt like I had nothing left to give. I had to figure out a way to just give it anyway and and dig from who knows where I dug from. (laughs) This is how you get burnt out because you're basically borrowing from like future energy reserves of yourself. And then when that future you gets there, future you's like, yeah, remember all that borrowing you did? I got nothing. It's gone. Um, Anyway, without digressing too much. But so the thing is, this is this is what I really wanted to speak to is the skill is so essential because of the fact that like we genuinely often don't have a choice with the emotional burdens that we are experiencing in a moment, whether that is losing a loved one or an extremely stressful week or month at work or very high demands from your your kids or whatever it is. It's true. Sometimes you do have to just like push through some of these difficult things that you're enduring and the skill that we have to give us the ability to do that is to find that balance of leaning into the suits what ways to soothe ways to calm our nervous system ways to relax in the midst of the stress. Mm-hmm. It's not even an either or. It's not like a endure the stress, then go relax. It's literally how do I imbue calm, grounding energy into this mm-hmm. current stressful moment? And this is where all of that attunement and awareness work comes into is you have to listen in and know when like your body is like needing something or your mind or your emotions are needing something. Even if it's a situation where you genuinely can't like get out of the situation, right? Like it is something you have to actually just push through and endure. Those are the moments especially that are so important to be able to have the skill of like grounding yourself into some sense of a balancing, uh, you know, experience within that. Right, right. I think that when we're looking at the entirety of this skill, it's about doing something that never was intuitively taught to us. I'm serious. Like, at no point. Yeah. And even to this day, because to this day, I absolutely have breakdowns and I absolutely struggle with balancing. And sometimes it goes way one direction that I'm like, what is going on? Like, I just get super dysregulated. And it's 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 interesting because it takes so much mental energy to be in a very intense emotion and then allow for that counterbalance to occur while you're 
enduring this. And this is actually something I teach my clients is I tell them when we first start skills like this, okay? And this is helpful for conceptualization. When we are starting this work, we typically talk about it like it's already in the active in vivo stage, like it's actively occurring, right? So if you heard this and you're thinking, oh man, the next time I experience an emotion, I just got to like do that technique and I got to get it done. But I usually paint it like this, and this is probably not the last time you're going to hear me say this, but the way I paint it is, listen, the brain is learning a new skill. So when we learn a new skill, typically any skill, think about when you've learned a new hobby or or craft or something, you may have to do something incorrectly, do something incorrectly for enough times while knowing the skill. So for example, like I taught you the instructions and you're like, okay, okay, just let me do it. Just let me do it. Classic neurodivergency, right? Like I hear you right here, you here. Let me try, let me try, let me try, right? And you immediately, <laughs> I mean, I know other people can experience this, but you immediately, immediately are like, yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. And immediately start messing up. Even though two minutes ago, you got told everything that could go wrong, but you're like, just let me try, just let me try. So you're like starting to make missteps and you're, you know, the person's that's, that's like the instructor in your mind is like, wait a second, I think that's not right, whatever, okay. And you're like, oh, okay, whatever. But the, the issue becomes, When you are learning this skill and you're starting to make a few missteps or you're starting to like, like understand, oh, this is where I wasn't developing the counter. I wasn't allowing two emotions to coexist or I was shaming myself or whatever. Okay. A lot of those times is I use the word hindsight is foresight. And I think that's the first time you guys have heard this on the podcast, but I've said it so many times to my clients that it makes me think I've said it to you guys, but that's okay. Hindsight is foresight means that when we're developing skill sets, and this is why I'm introducing this to you guys now, because we are going to use this conceptualization moving forward for other navigation skills, advocacy skills that we're going to do those, mm-hmm. these little snippets. On, okay. Hindsight is foresight means that when you're starting this work, you will know the skill, you will understand the skill. It'll be like the knowledge aspect of it. You're going to do the same stages of healing, knowledge, awareness, belief, right? Like all of those stages. You're going to be knowledgeable of the skill. You're going to be aware that maybe the skill isn't necessarily getting implied. But now what you need to do and where we don't want to get stuck in the skill application is we need to start looking at that as not about the time. You don't have to be like, Jamie, I tried it and it didn't happen in the moment. And I go, it's not going to. And I just want to be real with you guys. Like when you're trying to deal with like coexisting emotions, majority of the time, you're not going to magically, you know, experience a really intense emotion, especially my trauma brain people. Like you're not going to magically experience an emotion and immediately think, oh, well, maybe I need to create the relaxation or the counterbalance to this you're most likely going to experience something intense. And because the knowledge is there and the awareness is building, it will most likely be hours, if not a full-on day or two, before you gain the reflective skills to say, wait a second, that was me pushing myself over the threshold. That was me kind of being unkind to myself. That was me hurting myself in that moment, okay? Mm -hmm. But that 
timeline slowly shortens with your own allowance of reflection and allowance of hindsight because look here's the here's the counter counter example okay if i'm learning a new athletic skill okay and i am just starting it off and i i don't know if you guys know this i didn't mention it but i do ninja so when I do ninja, half the time I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Like I, I, you guys should watch the clips. I'm basically constantly failing. I'm always falling and I have bruises all over me. But that's not the point. The point is when I'm doing something in ninja and I'm going for like a swing and my body by when you're doing a swing or when you're doing like a really like dynamic move, your body has to work in a very particular way for that to be efficacious, okay? So I have to have my hips in the right angle. I have to have my release at the right time. I have to have my focus in the right area, right? I have to have the strength to complete the exercise, right? And so all of these elements, I might be practicing and not realize until later when I willfully examine the video or I willfully ask some moment of myself to say, hey, why don't I reflect on what went maybe a little bit off in that dynamic? I wasn't able to connect what happened. Okay, it's because I'm just learning the skill. So as I'm moving, my body's not going to immediately jump into the perfect fit of the dynamic move. I'm not going to move my hips in the perfect area. I'm not going to release at the perfect time. It It is not until I have hindsight reflective capacity. I have to be able to do it in order for that to inform the next move. So this is where... Hindsight is foresight, which means if you take the time when you're learning any skill, this skill, but any skill moving forward that we're introducing, Mm -hmm. if you take the time to take even a little bit of a moment of where that might have went a little bit awry or where that went off or if something didn't feel aligned or dissonant, whatever felt, whatever you're examining, if you give yourself that time, You're building the foundation for your brain to start moving the timeline closer to that application, right? You're getting closer and closer to when you're actively experiencing a really, really intense emotion. You are saying, okay, wait, 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 wait. that's that feeling. Okay, wait a second. Here we are. Mm-hmm. I love that. It, it's patience. It's baby steps. It's there's no no small wins, right? Like all the little wins along the way are building your skill set. And there is so when we the reflection is part of the skill building process here, especially with things like this. This stuff is not reflexive. We we don't do these things as a reflex because, as you said, none of us were taught these skills. This is all so brand new territory, and it's going to take time to slowly build these foundations and then build upon the foundations. But I really love what you said about how it starts with that like reflection and that like hindsight moment. And then over time, that space, that amount of time just gets shorter and shorter. And it really does. And like, I really want to give our listeners like that, that hope and, and that you know, knowledge that like, <laughs> it gets easier, right? Like, I don't want to like try to use too many cliches, but it's true. You know, it, it eventually you will see this is going to start happening for you in a lot like closer 
time, like on a lot closer timeline, shorter timeline, and in more of a real time manner. And it won't show up perfectly every time either. Like Jamie and I were saying, like I literally, I st- there are a million moments where I'm not embodying all of these skills perfectly, mm-hmm. and I am still in the reflective stage, depending on what skill we're talking about. So, but that's what it means to grow because it means that in any moment we're developing the strength it takes to practice these skills, and there are. So thousands of mitigating fact there's thousands of factors that are throwing you off there's a th- right so we got to remember that all Absolutely. we're doing is building the basic foundation for the propensity to apply it but then if i give you guys the example of ninja mm-hmm. i could master the skill let me just point this out and my husband he does master mm-hmm. the skills he's very very good at this sport okay and are there some days where some tiny thing is off and he has mastered that every single time and I look at him and I go wait what happened how did that how did you slip and he was just like my focus was off and I just fell and I was like right because that happens right like so this is why we're I want I do think like what she is speaking to is giving you guys the hope that this is not a you know, reach the destination of healing and then get done. It's constantly reframing like I am practicing, I am building the foundation. And even while I'm building it, that strength will grow and external factors will change and different things will move around and things will throw this off a little bit. And it doesn't make it less valid or reasonable for you to continue to build that strength. It doesn't prove, we said this in another episode, it doesn't prove, it's not proof that you are not getting better Just because you fell off an obstacle, that's not proof. So that's the Mm -hmm. hope that we want for you guys, okay? So so it is possible. This is possible. And this is just the beginning of us doing more like concentrated skill development. Love it that we wanted this to be like 40 minutes and it's a little bit longer than that, but that's okay. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, we also want to, I don't think we've spoken about this enough, but we really do want to encourage you guys to give us your ideas via email, like, or on DMs and stuff. Like, we want to hear the feedback about some of the ways we present some of these ideas. Um, If you like the idea of us doing, you know, skill breakdowns, we want to hear the feedback. Obviously, the reminder of reviews, super, super helpful for us. Um. We just met a really big milestone and we can celebrate that together right now that we hit 10,000 downloads, which is a big deal for podcasts. Um, I hope we listen to that in a year and it is exponentially higher and we've gotten so many more shares, but (laughs) I see you guys that are sharing. I see the feedback. I hear from clinicians. I hear from people that are like, I shared this with my sister. I shared this with my coach. I shared this with my therapist. My therapist shared this with me. Biggest compliment in the world, guys. Hearing that someone's therapist shared this with their client. (laughs) Um, But genuinely, I'm telling you, this is a community and we want you to be a part of the community. So whether that ends up being the Facebook group or not, we want you to be part of it either via DMs. We do answer our DMs. You guys should send us DMs. Um, and then we answer our emails. We want our emails <laughs> to be um, kind of like the back and forth. So 
please, if you resonate in any way or you want to provide that feedback, please take a moment and do that. Um, we want to build community with you and that's a perfect way to do that. So love it. So with that sending strength. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you so much, y'all, for tuning in. If anything we said resonated, please subscribe and leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. This absolutely helps us grow, and we really do value your voice on this podcast. So if you have anything you'd like to contribute, any tips, any topics, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at unlearned at recollectedself.com. You can find us on Instagram at the unlearned podcast or individual Instagrams at recollected self and CAs is at embracing divergence. You can also find us over on TikTok under those handles. If you want to join our Patreon for $5 a month, you can be our coffee fiend club member. And that's going to give you access to our podcast within a podcast, which is called unhinged. This is basically where we let loose completely unedited we are literally just shooting the breeze having fun you can see our full personalities and it is a blast honestly it's pretty fun so if you want to join us you can find that at patreon.com unlearned and that's it the last thing i want to tell you is i want you to be brave enough to fight for the person you want to become and this is how we do the work